Hello and welcome to part two of our semi-retrospective look back at series 10, which is really only just finished, but let's just talk about it anyway. Uh, I'm Ian Symes and joining me, as we uh, same as the last one, is Jonathan Capps. Hello. John Hall. Hello. Tanya Jones. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And so... <laughs> you just said semi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> Uh, so last time we got as far as Lemons, which is halfway through the series, so that was handy. So <laughs> now we can move on to Entangled, which uh, Kepsi really likes, don't you? I do. I really like Entangled. Now then, let me think why. My review of this was very hastily written and uh, wasn't particularly focused, but I, it, it comes back to the... Um, they they do a good job of like of establishing sort of the local space around the ship and sort of getting the setting out there and you know like it's it maybe some some of the reason why some people don't like this episode and it's the reason why I do like it is it feels like it should be an episode where they're on Starbuck because they're um the rate of discovery and encounters with other things it mm. feels to uh, suits sort of like the this zippy sort of you know explorative nature of like series six or seven mm-hmm. when they're in Starbuck and you can believe that they stumble across this moon and that space station but it's been done on Red Dwarf which I think quite, works quite well because unlike other series they're on Red Dwarf yes but they are actively searching for something very nearby which is Kachansky so I quite like that. I, from a story point of view, I thought it, it meshes quite well with the, the the very rough idea that they're looking for Kachansky at all points. Mm. And um, I just I thought it was really funny. I think some of Rimmer's best stuff is in this episode. Uh, I think the cat's best stuff is in this, although the cat's really funny throughout. Um, yeah. That one scene um, where Rimmer gets told that he's been gambled away, the cat just... Constantly, yeah. just comes out with one-liners throughout, and they're all good. Yeah, does not help, does not clean. We'll have sex with them. <laughs> oh, I hate that line. You hate it? I fucking hate it. Oh, it feels forced. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. If I had to come up with one of my least favorite lines in the series, it's that one. I'm sorry. Wow. I, I fucking loathe it <laughs> with every fiber of my being. And. In a microcosm, that is the split. Yeah, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. Because you don't like this episode, John. I hate it. I really hate it. I think it's my least favourite of the series by quite a long way. Why? I should admit, <laughs> at this point, in the interests of um, uh, full disclosure, I hated it so much I haven't even gone back and rewatched it. Um, so... Honestly, to kind of nail my thoughts down, it's it's honestly not Back to Earth. Mm. Whereas I hated Back to Earth so much, I bought the DVD and I put it on a shelf and yeah. I didn't actually <laughs> rewatch it. So I I I just it seemed to go no. It, it it had so many different things that had no focus. It had lines I didn't like. I took a real objection to the ending um, with. Um, uh, 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 killing um, Irene. Uh, Irene. Um, I really didn't like the feel of that at all. Um, and I, I also, um, it just, yeah, the, the, yeah, the monkey stuff went absolutely nowhere for me. It just the, the whole episode pissed me off. How does the seeing what, like the circumstances of this episode, the production problems, 
did that did that like sort of help change your no you got to judge you got to judge on what it is i think that's the um that's the key point is that knowing that there was a lot of problems and that things weren't as planned and you know they had to do a lot of things very quickly doesn't make the episode any better it allows you to understand why things ended up a certain way mm-hmm. but it's it's not going to absolve any problems it just it just no. gives you a different perspective on it. It doesn't. It doesn't make you. If you hated something, you still. Yeah. You're still going to hate it. it. You, um, you, can, you can say, oh, it's probably not Doug's fault that I hate this, but, but yeah. I hate it." So you <laughs> do have to wonder about how subs like uh, a, a, a monkey suit performer, a chimp suit performer, was hired without anyone at any point knowing. At least that, him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Saying, uh, "Do you know that I'm not supposed to work for more than forty minutes?" Yeah. What? <laughs> also, surely Robert Llewellyn saw that and said, "Oh, hang on a minute! This all over prosthetic guy. He has to he has to have an hour break every forty five minutes." Well, what the fuck? I'm doing twelve hour days. <laughs> but didn't they say that Robert had to? He can only be in the mask for two days in a row or something. Yeah. That was a, p- a personal problem with his eyes, I think. Oh, okay. No, the, um, they mentioned during the pickup week. Uh, well, they mentioned on the documentary that during the pickup week. Um, Robert was only allowed to work two days at a time. Oh, yeah, right. he can't have it on more than two days in a row. I think, yeah, that's so that's, that's, that's yeah. yeah. So that's like traditionally that we pre-recording your studio day. Yeah, how interesting. Was that the case on Back to Earth? I wonder, because they their schedule probably wouldn't have allowed that. Well, there's lots of stuff without um, without Crichton. Yeah, and they they could have jumped about doing it. Maybe that's why he's on holiday at the start. No, wasn't there a story about um, Robert Uh, wasn't going to be available? Robert might not have been available for the whole thing, so they wrote it so that he could have come in halfway through. But that was back to earth. That was back to earth. Uh, Entangled, I like about 75% of it, and I think it really falls apart once once they've got the chimp back on Red Dwarf and the last five minutes or so are just a bit... And I completely understand why, because they was written yeah. in you know in about two minutes. They literally wrote those scenes just so the episode could be to time, just to get it broadcast. And that, yeah. you know when the priorities have been boiled down to just getting an episode suitable for broadcast, it's there is um, there is the um, health and safety stuff as well, which um, I remember you very uh, eloquently argued, shall I say. <laughs> You didn't mind at all because it's Rimmer's character. Yeah. And I do totally get that. It's just my mind goes into overdrive as soon as someone even mentions health and safety. Because mm. I'm so fucking sick of people complaining about health and safety and moaning about it that for Red Dwarf to do and it's a bit like the foam stuff as well where it feels crammed in because it's something that's annoyed Doug. And I admit that it's a small thing that my brain just goes mm. and blows blows up as soon as it comes up. It just fucks me off where I was really annoyed at the, the accidental killing of Rumor's sex hall <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I like think that all the way much. she was introduced as his sex yeah I, 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 I took against that I don't think you need to add sex to whore I think that's the default setting <laughs> Um, I assure well, you it isn't. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is the problem. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, I suppose it's to do with the fact that everything was cobbled together at the last minute. Yeah. And I don't think... I don't think that Doug fought through... 
the implications of what he was no, doing. You really wasn't um, trying to do so. No. Um, Considering that on the documentary, he seemed very concerned. Like it, it was clearly a thing that he was worried about offending dyslexics in Trojan. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the and things yet, that then got through. Taiwan Tony yeah. and Dear Dave yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah, he's one of, well, I'd say he managed to offend half the population. I, mean, I, <laughs> I don't think every female Red Dwarf or, you know, any every woman who watched Red Dwarf had the same um, thoughts that I did because that would be... Ridiculous, but <laughs> I think I think it's interesting. Though. There's there's quite a few things that come up. Like there's the um, I'll go back to Trojan. There's the end of Trojan <laughs> with Sim. Then there's um, yeah Irene. Then there's the um, slag. That there, there does there is this recurring thing of things that not everyone's offended by all of them, but. Mm, a lot of people probably offended by at least one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's an equal opportunities offender. Um, yeah, and I, uh, mind you, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, I have a few problems, and not just with Red Dwarf, but with um, um, what was the thing he, we he showed at Dimension Jump? Oh, uh, over to Bill. Over Bill. to Bill. Yeah, where I sort of think, Doug, can you? Can you think a bit harder? Because um, they can't write for women. Because yeah, I've, yeah, exactly. No, I've, yeah. Well, there you go. I, I think Ruby Raps might have nailed it years and years ago. So yeah, um, just before she blew in dead body. Yeah. <laughs> bitch. I'm, I'm so glad we're better than dog in this regard. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, 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 there are several elements to um, the, to series ten that do worry me, um, and I think it's to do with the fact that. Well, I say you've moved on. I mean, the 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 whole fucking argument about the slag thing on G and T really brought it home to me that a lot of people haven't no. moved on. And um, that really fu- that annoyed me far more than the original yeah. joke. That's about to say the reaction to it actually, yeah, was yeah. was because I didn't really mind the slag stuff that much, though I totally understood sort of how someone can. But when mm. you see it, well, I mean, we're getting back into the episode yeah. that's coming up. But but when you see people's justifications, it's like yeah, and that's why maybe it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's made the reaction that people have had to it. I ne- I didn't have a much of a problem with it initially I identified that it was a potential problem but I didn't think that it was a problem (laughs) however the way that people reacted to it has made me wish that it wasn't there because fuck off I think with Irene I mean she gets everything wrong just steer it back (laughs) (laughs) which actually just steering it back to um, Fathers and Sons oh good (laughs) to go back Um, uh, it's interesting that they there was no one coming out as a closet racist. No. <laughs> Which means that whatever you think about that joke, um, it was a reasonable area to maybe bring in, whereas the slag stuff, clearly, that brought up all kinds of things that hasn't. No one was going on GNT and saying, oh, well, I thought they all talked like that. There was, um, <laughs> you know, that thread that's been dug up for the Body Snatcher collection. Um, yeah, that was helpful as well. Let's so, just keep going backwards. Someone, someone no, just just talking about racism on GT. Someone I can't remember who said that the Japanese are a shallow race. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I think even I got offended by that one. <laughs> Is this Terry Collier? <laughs> 
Um, anyway, yeah, Irene. Mm. Yeah, they had to. Irene. Doug had to. She had, there was five minutes, and I'm, I imagine he had to just very quickly sort of get the basics across for her, and it, and it's led to some big characterization problem. Mm. They didn't. She. They didn't need to have her instantly want to fuck Rimmer on the spot. <laughs> I know most women do. Fuck him on the watch. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, why? I'm not entirely sure why that was particularly introduced. As far as I can see, that was introduced just so they could be walking down a corridor together later well, in the episode. Isn't the idea that because she's wrong, mm-hmm. the idea is that no one would have to have sex with Rimmer, which isn't true actually. But yeah. never mind. Um, yeah. Why did you point at me? <laughs> uh, good point <laughs> but yeah but, but that's the general joke they're going for isn't it that because yeah. she's wrong yeah. she would want to have well, sex well I think they're, they're the confusing the character with the with the ethos of error as an institution like they've got people who aren't very good but there is no one in the world that is consistently and always wrong to the, that that mathematical extreme like no one would ever want to have sex with Rimmer therefore this person will always want to have sex with Rimmer that's what the ethos mm. of the actual institute is is and and those people are more mm-hmm. <coughs> more suited to to follow that but that's where the thing is with the professions that were um brought into error of weathermen and referees and TV critics like all these people are functioning human beings mm-hmm. <laughs> they yeah. don't um they wouldn't get every single like oh what's the code for this they they would remember the codes to their uh, yeah. to their briefcases or whatever I don't know why I said briefcases that's <laughs> a good example but yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Irene was a cartoon character rather than a person if it yes. was some, if it was like a droid that had been created to always yeah. be yes that could have worked also um, that would mean that um, uh, the character in Hollow Ship um, Nirvana Crane. Nirvana is and uh, no, no, that's not because it was point. Chris Barry in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah. Rimmer's never yeah. been bad looking. I think the joke about Rimmer has always been that he's so inept socially mm. and such a horrible person that people <laughs> don't really <laughs> want to be with him. Which is nailed at the uh, beginning of the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. That's people have always it just doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Rimmer's not repulsively attractive on first impressions mm. um, as evidenced by seeing Chris Barry at Dimension Jump most women will go oh, yeah a bit alright it's only when they get to know him that they don't want to be sexy <laughs> <laughs> not Chris Barry yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rimmer which is the thing I mean if that had been because it's a crap joke really <laughs> if, it's, if it's based on his looks yeah um it's a really shit joke. It, and she it, should have wanted to fuck Crichton if that was the case. It's, it's just bizarre, isn't it? I know. Yeah. It's the, the more you think about it, the it's more not you there think for about no this is rubbish. And also, you've got you've got, and the thing that sets all this up to be uncomfortable is the fact that she uh, starts to see naked. Mm. Yeah. Now, I think they maybe just about get away with it because you've got Lister going over and coming yeah. on all this kind of thing. But it's not an auspicious start mm. for this whole plot line. No, not really. Um, but, and it just it, so it makes you feel slightly awkward yeah. before. And you also, because they're all staring directly at her, and it really bothered me. And that they, you've got them. I mean, the two. To be honest, 
Rimmer has always done his perving in a more subtle manner. <laughs> it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a reprehensible thing to do, but it's not as direct as that, which is really Apart strange. from the elbow titting. Well, even that no, isn't direct. Yeah. It isn't him going, oh, just got to elbow your tickers. <laughs> Wallop, eh? <laughs> Yes, yeah. not really what we're saying is Entangle was a sequel to Wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> Wally yeah. Who. Wally Who, I'm sorry. Wrinkles, Wrinkles was the good one. Yeah. Wally Who's the really yeah. shit one. But, I mean, I, I've seen Entangled three or four times now, I think. And every time I think, yeah, that ending is disappointing, but I can kind of compartmentalise it and, and move it You're not it to angry, back and, you're yeah. just disappointed. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and I, I really like the rest of the episode. And the thing I is, really is like like all the big stuff. That even in the, the space of this podcast, we've had more time to think about this than <laughs> the entire <laughs> production did in putting it together. So I just... I just it, I'll tell you what is good, though. Go on. Have you got a pen? <laughs> yes. Best ending I, to any episode this well apart from the beginning of this series. I, I do also I do find the episode just um I can feel the gears cranking every four minutes or so where it does this and then it goes and something else. And it's like the thing is it seems um it's even maybe feels even worse than perhaps it is because it's coming off lemons. Mm. So you've got lemons, which is the absolute perfect well not perfect but you know the one episode one idea one episode straight down then you go into Entangled uh, at least I went into Entangled thinking you know wow yeah that's where it's at and then it's just well, I goes think off into a million yeah, things the, the, the biggest sort of I, I find the whole plot really interesting but they, the, the coincidence stuff with Cat and Crichton is really funny but when it's integrated into the plot <laughs> it never quite works because the logic isn't fully sort of nailed down. No. It's like, do, does the, this coincidence thing, does it make things happen? Because the, the, the whole the whole concept is they notice the coincidence and the synchronicity in things, mm-hmm. which works at the very end of the episode because they notice the fact that Irene E is irony and wouldn't mm-hmm. it be ironic? No, that, but as shit as it is, that is consistent with the idea of, of the synchronicity. But when you apply that to the old begs choking at once... Mm. It's like I think, yeah, I think it's even more divided than that because uh, in consecutive scenes the logic works in a different way, uh, i.e. the begs choking and then um, the t- watching what's on the telly and that guiding them yeah. to the thing. I think that works well because they're looking out for coincidences that can help them and by coincidence the guy on the telly says get them to the space station and by coincidence the coordinates are on the book. That works really well. The choking thing works less well, I and mean, a lot of people were confused about it. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, but then they say that was always going to happen. It's just that we noticed it. Yeah, but they would have noticed it anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's some. Yeah, it's, it's not this background detail that would have gone by unnoticed otherwise. Yeah. That would be helpful if you'd noticed it. It's an actual big event that. And it seemed to. It, it like everything points to the fact that they caused the begs to choke by keep on saying the word choke. Yeah. Um, it's not that much of a coincidence. No, it's all a bit look virus as well, isn't it? Mm. Let's face it. But you see, this is um a kind of recurring thing with this um series. I can't like you, you you Doug keeps coming back to these ideas, uh, and it's very difficult sometimes. It's a very fine line between something being a dwarfy idea. Uh, that kind of does keep coming back and something that's just a repetition. Mm. And the amount of alternate personalities in in the series mm. kind of indicates that, you know, 
it's not like Red Dwarf doesn't keep coming back to these things. Even if you take one to six, the Red Dwarf always keeps coming back to things. But it always just seems to tip over slightly into a bit more of a repetition of an idea than than I would like. Yeah. I think in these episodes, the the nature of this series, if we if in ten years' time we're viewing it as the first of a new batch of mm-hmm. series, we'd probably look back and say, okay, fair enough, series ten. We're starting a starting a fresh almost. It, you know, take it. It may have been a bit heavy on repeating some old ideas, and you know, um, with diminishing returns. Mm. But it was kind of nice to sort of re-establish that sort of base of quite a lot of sort of strong red dwarf ideas, and mm. then later on, the series started doing. You know, <laughs> we're assuming a that. Series ten is the start of well, no, this raft, is, and that the rest this is of how the I view it. be different. Yeah. You know, I from watching, I was confident Red Dwarf was going to get an 11th series, and after watching the Worst Meg documentary, I have no fucking clue whether they're going to get their shit together to do another Doug series. tweeted uh, Craig saying, um, can I ring you, mate? <laughs> or something along those lines yesterday, so it's definitely happening. <laughs> well, yeah, the question is not whether... Um, BBC Worldwide and UK TV want to do another series, or that Quentin Naylor and the cast and Doug mm. want to do another series. It's whether they have the capabilities to yeah. do another series yeah, after so coming so close on so many occasions to um, series ten, not making it to a. Danny. Yeah. What did you think of Entangled? I don't think you've said, have you? Um. Well, I mean, my set report. I I really enjoyed, it, but I think it's because I hadn't. Uh, I had no means of comparison. Um, I really enjoyed the episode when I went to see it recorded. I think anyone would go and enjoy anything they saw recorded anyway. I think just the initial reaction would be just, oh, I'm here, this is brilliant. It's the first one you saw recorded as well, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry? It was the first one you saw as well, so this was the first new Red Dwarf you... Yeah, this yeah. was my first sort of foray into Red Dwarf X, and I had not seen anything else or heard anything else before then anyway. So this was my first sort of thing. So I was thinking, well, if it's if it's anything, if it's be- if it's as good as or as better than this, then you know we're on to a winner. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, granted, when we didn't get the last ten minutes, I was worried because it went on <laughs> a really strange tangent of having this devolution thing and having this woman, and then that being the last thing we saw. And I just thought, oh, that's a bit strange, especially because it was the first recording. Thinking, well, I don't even know how this episode's going to end. Yeah. And yeah, I mean. I, I mean, we're all assuming that Irene dies when she goes out the airlock. It's not. Well, she always does everything wrong. Said. She can't even die properly. <laughs> She's still alive. Bloody yeah, women. I mean, the fact is that they could have just grabbed her after the episode finished. You know, after the point of which you know. Well, and then they. Um... She's kind of like living somewhere in the ship, and they just well, never mentioned. Just the it fact yet. that the airlock just you know she's like. It, it, it's just everyone's assuming that she. Oh no, this is not just like a wishful thinking thing. It's just the fact that it's never established. It's never said that she dies when she flies out the airlock. So it's an accident, yeah, but she certainly didn't die from it. Well, she might not have died from it. So next series, is she going to do a kind of cat and kind of go along in the background in the scene somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a strange one, really. I mean, but like my my first reaction to Entangle was good, and I was really happy that Doug was trying these strange new ideas like the coincidence thing being you know a scientific thing that you could harness and you know like the look virus and although it did akin to that I, I still felt it was something different it, well it had different comedy um, avenues to explore and they did that well I think yeah, yeah. and the, when, you, when you kind of explained that they uh, I don't know whether it was ever 
uh, was it? Does it mention that the, the quantum rod comes from Trojan? Yes. Right. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, because they mentioned the quantum rod in Trojan, and then obviously yeah, it's the crystals from the rod. Because I remember when you told me that that happened in an earlier episode, that there is a link to, between those episodes. I thought, oh, cool, there is actually some sort of like interlinking thing. So yeah. <laughs> at least there is some sort of thread going through all this. Mm. And then Which that's obviously that was got the scaled down, down in the end. Yeah. I quite like that. I really like the subtle linking that happened. It's one to four, episodes one to four, really, of, the tro- of Trojan affecting every episode. Really. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying no one's done linking stories before, but it reminds me very much of Bad Wolf. Uh, and the way Doctor Who did the seeded yeah. stuff through, but that was building up an to individual. That well, well we don't here. know what he was building up to. Well, he yeah. might have been building up to something. It we don't know. We, if if Kachansky was supposed to come back in episode episode six, um, we don't know whether that might have all been a big thing coming up. Yeah. We don't know. I think it we just don't say, know. It would be safe to assume because. Um, the monster coming from Trojan would presumably have been episode five, maybe, yeah. uh, and then from what we've heard, the end of series five, there would have been a, a hint to chance. So it all would have flown, da 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 da. Yeah, all stemmed yeah. from Trojan. Yeah, it would have been really good, wouldn't it? So <laughs> instead, although I'm so pleased we didn't see her, I really am. I, yeah, I can't abide that woman. Yeah, that, bloody women. <laughs> Speaking of misogyny and <laughs> instead of being really good, instead of that we had <laughs> Dear Dave, which is my least favourite episode of the series. And, and yeah. quite considerably as well. Yeah, it's a, a huge, huge drop off. And then I remember on the instant reaction, I was fe- I was pretty kind to it because it did make me laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think the charade scene is fantastic and that makes me laugh every time. But... That it's just so empty. Like once you've watched it a couple of times and you know all the, where all the jokes are, that's that's why Red Dwarf has always been immensely rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Is because once you're tired of the jokes, you've still got the plot to enjoy and the characterisation and the subtleties of the performance. Yeah. And none of those things were present in this episode. <laughs> so once you've once you've seen the jokes, there's nothing else there. And, and in that sense, it reminds me of something like Crikey TV or. Um, Pete Part 1 where there are some decent gags in it but once you've watched them a few times there's nothing left in the episode well I mean it's interesting with whatever the criticisms of of Red Dwarf 10 and I have an awful lot of them the one thing you can't really criticise the series for is is lack of ideas and lack Mm. of big plot Mm. which is I mean you know even though I'll defend bits of Series 8 Series 8 has no very few big underlying ideas shall we say there is the odd one Um, and that's not something you can say about Red Dwarf 10 so yes to have an episode like that mm. is is yeah. weird, well, and and I can't help but feel that it could have worked. But, well, I I'll tell you what, the weirdest thing about Dear Dave is is that there is simultaneously not enough and mm. too much plot going on. Yeah, because there is there's about four different threads of um, the uh, the postcard and Lister getting the letter and finding out mm-hmm. it might be a dad. Lister and the vending machines and this weird thing that was added in <laughs> in an extra day against green yeah. screen of Rimmer's uh, letters and possible demotion. The worst thing in the entire and it's, series. It's, well. it's so weird and nothingy, that plot. And yet there could potentially have been more with the other things. Yeah. Like none of these yeah. plot, none of these three main plots are anywhere near the level of a Red Dwarf plot. Yeah. And yet... Yeah. 
and yet there's still too it's much busy. going on. It feels it's busy, busy and, and yeah, as you say, some of it's not busy enough. That's, that's well, that plot, I mean, the plot which ends with that word <laughs> <laughs> um, could have been really moving. Mm. Could have been actually really good. It could have been funny as well. Funny, uh, yeah, <laughs> that too. But it could have been funny, it could have been moving, it could have been, it could have been Lister finally saying goodbye to yeah. um, his life on mm, Earth because yeah. he's been keeping going back to it. And I, I maybe that's what I mean, jumping ahead. Maybe that's part of the problem I've got with the beginning is that he's still trying to go back to Earth. And well, no, you've been doing that for ages. Perhaps you ought to just say goodbye. Mm. I say it's gone, forgotten. Well, not forgotten, but got, you know, just moving on. And thought, perhaps doing some different things. Because, but it's obvious Doug wants to do different things, I think. Um, and I think all of it is this just massive struggle with... He doesn't quite know where to take things. He's got loads and loads of ideas. Um, so I think it could have been a brilliant episode where... Yeah, Lister thinks he's a dad and he's not. Because, you know, this thing happened and humans have relationships and she wasn't as honest with him as he should have been and etc etc um and it could have ended with him it could have ended with another joke and it could have ended with him going oh well yeah i'm kind of disappointed on the other hand i've hardly been a model boyfriend (laughs) in the past um so perhaps you know shouldn't be so judgy mcjudgmental Well, I actually really like that idea, I have to say. Mm. I really like the idea. It would have tied in as well to Lister missing the human race so much at the beginning. Yeah. Mm. To dangle this thing in front of him is you could you could be a father. There could be a raft of Listers out there. Not See, an actual raft. My <laughs> idea for rescuing the episode I hate now because I did but have then. one, but that's so much better than my <laughs> idea. My idea was if you're going to do an episode which is kind of like that, do a literal life Day on board Red Dwarf. Here's what a bog standard day on Red Dwarf is. And kind of frame it like that. Frame it as the beginning of the day, beginning of the Mm -hmm. episode, end of the day, end of the episode. Have maybe a few things going here, there and everywhere, but kind of frame it as a kind of, uh, this is what a normal day on Red Dwarf is like. Which I think is all right. I prefer your idea to (laughs) on Red Dwarf. They should have had an episode with the on-board JMC documentary crew going around (laughs) making a documentary. Oh. I've got to say something. John's nailed exactly how I view Dear Dave, which is where it's basically, although it's not very interesting maybe for an audience, but the idea of just it being a normal sort of a day when they're not being threatened by something. It was almost that episode as well. Yeah, that's it. That's but it's what, too busy. Yeah. Dear but it's, it's like, why does everything, why does every day have to be, you know, action-packed and stuff? Although, you know, plot-wise and stuff, that's what, you know, the audience wants and stuff. But in terms of sort of the realism of it it's not always going to happen the problem is that Dear Dave doesn't as the final episode is doesn't go far enough for me in being a regular Dave yes. yeah no that's I do, I do still... know what you mean but it's just that's how I view Dear Dave as being that kind of sort of on its own sort of a, a, a sort of yeah. a what if nothing happened that day Kevin. but yeah but they should have stuck with that and had nothing happen rather than yeah, the postpod <laughs> turn up and this li- this rumour oh, thing I would so love to see the Red Dwarf version of Royal Family yeah <laughs> well, I was going to say another way to do that type of episode would be to do the um, half hour real time episode that yeah. Red Dwarf is one of the few <laughs> long running yeah. sitcoms not to have done I, I, I think I talked about that in um, 
Uh, like, why didn't Road Dwarf 8 do a half an hour in a prison cell episode mm-hmm. when they were running short of budget? Yeah. Uh, just sit there and write that and the do it fucking cheaply. Well, when we saw, um, at the recording, there was like there was maybe two another two quite big scenes that eventually were cut out of the episode when the plot was remodelled. And because like the letter plot only starts in the second half of the, ep- of the finished episode, yeah. you know, there was this whole... It almost felt like... 99% of the episode was going to be in the bunk room and just be Rimmer and Lister mm-hmm. talking to each other. Yeah. And I I definitely would have preferred that. I mean, yes, it's, it still would have been a thing has happened, like the posters arrived, that's still a big thing. wouldn't be your, your normal day on Red Dwarf, but it would still be um, it would still be really, really pared down. It would still be just pure chatting between two yeah. characters with yeah. the, the, the odd intersection. And you could still have um, Cat come in yeah. for his... You know, instead of scene stealing, his thirty seconds stealing, yeah. then go out again. And do, um, I don't know whether you might almost be better off without Christ in that episode. Yeah. And well, I, yeah, I, I think didn't I have think much to do even in the final yeah. version. I think yeah. Doug yeah. might have lost his nerve. Like he was suddenly scared that there wasn't any plot there. And to be honest, you don't really. I mean, yeah. there's not a huge amount. Like look at Marooned as an extreme example. There's not. You know, there is a plot there, but it's just. Yeah, I, I guess something like Dear Dave would. There is the, that the same framing device. Is at the start, the post pod arrives, and at the end, um, there's a resolution to a question that Lister has. And then in Marooned, at the start, they're just running away from something. It doesn't really matter what they're running away from crash, stuck, rescued, mm-hmm. you know. It's, and similarly, Duck Soup has exactly the yeah. same format as well. But, yeah. And it's all about what the, the dialogue is in the middle. Mm. See, that's but the, way- the problem is, for me, non-plot-related dialogue in Red Dwarf hasn't been good for me for a long, long time. Yeah, exactly what I was going to Even say. Even Back to Earth. I like most of Back to Earth, but before the plot kicks in, I think it's it's not very good at all. I think you're right. Series 8 and 7, nah. And I, th- I think also some of the weakest writing in this series are the opening scenes yeah. um, where you're setting up. But you're and, waiting for the plot to yeah, kick in. And the... Uh, <laughs> I won't leave head too much, but by far my favourite opening is the beginning, mm. um, which isn't, which is 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 plot. Yeah. It's not the kind of set up. It's the it's the actual plot. Still and actually, that still I think brilliant. that that scene is almost my favourite scene in the whole series. Yeah, it's got it's very much characters. like a dimension jump type start where but, it's not involving the crew. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I think there are problems with the main cast in this series. Um, I'm kind of leaving seven and eight to one side because it's not something is you know <laughs> <laughs> not something we talk about in polite conversation. Yeah, it's pretty much my take. <laughs> um, the thing is, I don't think that the main cast really hit it off um, in terms of nailing their characters again very much in uh, well ten x whatever. Um, uh, eggs. Eggs. Egg. Eggs. Um, <laughs> I, I, with the exception of Danny John Jules, because I think he does really well mm-hmm. as Cat, but I think that's partly because Doug did a lot of nice stuff for Cat. He went mm. back to basics a bit more with Cat. Um, and then Danny just delivered what was asked of him, and that was great. I I mean, part of the trouble, I also part of the trouble with Dear Dave, and everything, I think I Craig just didn't hit the emotional notes enough for me and I know he can do it because I've seen him mm-hmm. do it I've seen Chris it Barry back to earth. He did, well yeah and he, did, yeah he did do it back to earth mm. and Chris Barry as well has 
delivered some amazing performances as women and I didn't see any of it really in X. I think I rubber it hard to. I think rubber got it, um, mm. particularly yes. towards the end, uh, a, a couple of episodes in, um, when his eyes weren't on fire. <laughs> he, he started to do a lot better. It's uh, yeah, and I also think he, he had quite a good. Quality. I mean, Robert as an actor clearly suffered from the sort of thought production quite a lot because he always has the the most complicated lines and and he is the one that you notice all the fluffs for uh, yeah, yeah. in the finished episodes. Every yeah. episode there's something, and it isn't his fault. No. Yeah. Um, and that's a shame but yeah I think characterisation wise Robert is by it, it, Robert and Danny are the best mm-hmm. Craig did amazingly well in the double list scene of Father and Sons but that's really the only scene where he really mm. hits it for me yeah. and I think there's there's times where he's completely unlister um, notably Trojan which I, I sort of liked it at the time but the more I watch it the more I dislike it of his rant about on the last guy alive if yeah, you go to do it it's just whoa it's, hold on he wouldn't put everyone's tr- life in danger by it, it's trying to justify that plot and it fucking doesn't <laughs> it's, it's just the performance they've got a problem with if mm. they're jumping up and down and turning the 360 degree yeah. turn is it is yeah. quite it's amusing in isolation yeah, but then you think hang on this is a, supposed to be a real person not just a caricature I mean he did that he did a similar thing in Whitehall but that was more him bragging than getting annoyed Oh yeah, and that yeah, every is sort of his touch-up shuffle type thing. Yeah, and he wasn't he wasn't well, threatening the life of everyone around him just because he wanted to stir master. I, I, I must say the various interviews celebration the crew have done this series made me want to go and stick my head down the toilet. So <laughs> the, the I, laughing gas, yeah, it, and and, and, and the and the just the it's like oh, you know, you no no. I no. I've complained about this before, and I think I particularly complained about it. Um. It's in Crawford. Um, I thought, and I don't think anyone's ever agreed with me, but <laughs> um, I saw her as being kept as a bit of a trophy, and I, I felt quite uncomfortable with that because I've never seen them do that before. Mm. Um, I, I don't because otherwise I thought, well, I don't really see why she's there. Otherwise, you know. The and the answer is to, and the answer is to round up the Sturmaster plot, which is a bit fucking. But rubbish. you see, yeah. it's a, but you <laughs> yeah. see, the problem there is the it's the it's the. Um, uh, I, I don't think any of these moments uh, necessarily show anything particularly unpleasant about Doug. I just think they perhaps show a lack of caring. Oh, so I can do this to round up the plot and not think any of the implications. The and the yeah. problem is, any any one of them, I think I could accept, almost. Mm. But when oh. you've got about four, and a lot of them at the end of episodes, it really starts making me feel a bit... Ugh. And you've got, you've also got a problem honestly where where Red Dwarf is a, is a, a an all an all male sitcom, and you know what? You kind of got to be careful. Yeah. Just be careful. It's there are things you can awesome. do that you 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 know you you might not mean it like that, but you there's no harm in in not being twattish about this yeah. kind of thing. And also be be funnier as well, because one of the things that unites all these you know iffy points, like the the, the Crawford and Trojan at the end. Yeah, wasn't actually that funny, um, but the end of Entangled, like the the final line, I think saves saves that dodgy moment mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's delivered so well, and like so that's that's great. You could get away with that in isolation, but mm-hmm. yeah, the Crawford thing and just everything to do with Irene before she gets before she you know goes out of the airlock. I mean, you've got you've got yeah you've got the Irene stuff, you've got the the Sim Crawford stuff, you've got the slag stuff. Yeah. 
Um, oh yeah, and that's not nearly funny enough to end an episode yeah. on. Um, you've Quite got. I, I mean, I maybe some people have all, would also count the pre stuff. I didn't really feel that. To be fair, I didn't have much of a problem. What with, just um, that she was? Yeah, with sexy with her, lady, the sexy yeah. lady that was eaten. That well, was and, and the death at the end. I didn't really feel anything. Yeah, she's, 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 she's not male or female. It's a, it's a computer. Mm. It's but a then sim- I suppose yeah. that's the argument with the simulant. Except I don't well, no, I, I do, I agree with that about the simulant. I think. I don't think the target of the joke was let's keep this thing that looks like a woman as a trophy. I think it was let's keep the... I don't think even think it was a trophy. I think it was purely there to wrap up the Stairmaster thing. Yeah. It was a simulant, not a woman. And I think if the simulant in the episode had happened to be male and the and it had been revealed that they kept that and put a spoon on the end of his finger, then it wouldn't have altered the joke. Therefore, I don't think that the joke is about it being a woman. Oh, no, I see that there is a connotation there of having someone who looks like a woman um, chained up in the <laughs> corner of the room uh, yeah. <laughs> in a, on a ship that's populated by four blokes. Um, and it's just yeah. one of those things where, yeah, you do sort of have to bear in Hello, mind... My, I mean, my general point about, it, about her being a trophy isn't so connected with her being female, just, mm. just the fact that, you know... She's a vanquished enemy, and you never. She was a sentient person. Yeah, and you never, you never see that in any part of a dwarf. They, they don't do that. And it's It's weird. Drinking out of the skull of your vanquished. Yeah, it's really (laughs) odd. It kind of suggests a level of vindictiveness that they are supposed to have. Whereas, yeah, and 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 in a normal episode, that wouldn't have happened because. Mm. It isn't there in itself to be a plot point. It's there to to be a punchline to a to a shit. So just, it's somewhat. just all these, yeah, just all these little connotations that you don't um, you don't lose anything just by being a bit more fucking careful. Yeah, I yeah. think is what I'd say. And then all these kind of add up to the end of Dear Dave. Yes, and then, and I think that's why that was probably the biggest negative reaction was yeah. was was the end of Dear Dave and it, I think it is because just little things like that were adding up and this was kind of a final straw yeah and absolutely the fact that you can then look back at when you've seen Dear Dave and you think well there was this as well and this and this and this it makes it seem far worse than yeah. Yeah. It, it would otherwise have been and I, don't, I genuinely don't think that there's any malice mm-hmm. or any point that is trying to be made I think no, it's I just don't. carelessness I, oh, just, absolutely. I, just, yeah. I don't think that and I certainly would not attribute any kind of um, negative views towards women to Doug Naylor no. I absolutely 100% is not yeah. what I'm saying at all I think with Doug um, he was either written into a corner uh, wrote himself into a corner or like, the production got him into a, into a situation and at times in certain scripts he's just he's got two goals wrap up this fucking story try and find a joke yeah. And as soon as one one or both of those is met in a particular circle, well, okay, that wraps yeah. it up. That, there's a joke there. Great. We've got no Move time on. to hone that. Yeah. We've, we've got yeah. the Where, Whereas with lemons, um, one of my favourite scenes is a woman being really funny on her own terms, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, the fact he can write that shows that he's not some kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. You know, actually that that that, well, that, you... that whole she was um, she's one of the best written female characters in Red Dwarf ever. I would say, and I really enjoy her. Well, simply because of, 
the fact that she's a woman is not the basis of yes, her exactly, character. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> but I mean, they, I know. Sorry, I know that came across a bit awkward, but you know what I mean. It's like um, it is one of the things thrown, at, um, uh, especially male sci-fi writers, mm. that they can't write women very well. Apart from puffs, they can. Yes, they can <laughs> uh, because um, they put them in pretty pink bedrooms. The beginning, final episode, is a good episode. It is the best episode. It's the second best episode. I'd say it's the second best episode. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite scenes in the entire series is the opening scene with yeah. Young Rimmer, which I think is extraordinary. Well, it's just really, really funny. Yeah. Um, there's the other scene I really enjoy, which um, everyone got annoyed with me by laughing too much, but it's the um, ritual disemboweling <laughs> scene, which um, is my other favourite scene in the entire series. And what's my, the common link between those two scenes? The common link between those two scenes is it hasn't got the normal caster. <laughs> and this really concerns me. I'm, I'm not... I'm trying to kind of phrase it in terms of me rather than assuming everyone would feel like this, but if my two favourite scenes are scenes without the regular casting, mm. what does that necessarily say about Red Dwarf 11? <laughs> and also how I feel about it. It's like, that's not how it's supposed to be. And my favourite bits are not supposed to be. And actually, and I know no one agrees with me on this, but I think my favourite scene in Lemons is the one just between Jesus and um, uh, about the Ten yeah, Commandments. Erin. Erin. Uh, and I realise that as well. And mm. that's kind of, well... That's my three favourite scenes without the main cast, and that's just odd. Yeah. But is it just that they happen to be exceptional scenes in their own right? So it's not the lack of cast that appeals well, to you. True, but why? Why are the exceptional scenes the ones written without the cast? Why am I finding those the funniest? Um, and I'd be almost at this point be tempted to say um, I almost wish Doug would write something that wasn't Red Dwarf, but would write something else that had... Because maybe I, I might enjoy that more. And then I remember over to Bill. Mm. Yeah. And that idea dies a death. I wonder, is it, is it because those scenes kind of stick out of it as being exceptional? Because it's not something that has been very common before and all of a sudden we've got three scenes in a series doing it. I mean, the only one I can think of is the Inquisitor. There's the, uh, the Inquisitor and Thomas Ullman. Oh, <laughs> Thomas Ullman. It is neutral, but it's the fact I find them so funny. Yeah. Because I'm really difficult to please with comedy and Red Dwarf yeah. um, and the fact that those are things that I can well, laugh out loud at and just think I mean I was on the floor with it's that um, not, it, uh, yeah, scene. it's not yeah. that there haven't been exceptional scenes before with guest cast when you just think of Ramona's mother oh, well, yeah, and yeah. that's a brilliant scene um, but that was a brilliant scene in an episode of other brilliant scenes mm. with the main yeah. cast, so you didn't. That didn't stick out at you as. I wonder if because you can take the the performances of the guest cast at face value, and with the other scenes, you, if there's always if you've always got a, a sort of problem like Chris isn't quite getting it right, Craig's not quite getting it right, and that will always sort of affect. Always, the yeah. that, that's, I think that's exactly what that's exactly the point I was going to bring up. Yeah. Um, it's basically the yeah you, you've already got preconceptions about how the cast, how Lister, Cryon, Cat, mm. Rumor would react in a given situation, but with these new characters and these new instances of characters, you have no idea. You so you're relax. giving it completely That's, without any. You know, you've got no uh, uh, law of precedent in terms of how you'd expect it to go. Mm. And I think when you enjoy it because it's new. Well, well, you see, this is the thing that one of my big criticisms of this series has been that I think um, uh, 
there's been too much um, repetition of old ideas. And with these scenes, it's completely new. Yeah. There's no riffing off an old idea. I suppose maybe you could argue that the beginning of um, the beginning is, is riffing off an old idea. And we've seen scenes similar. I suppose the 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 scene with Rimmer and his mum mm. would be the closest we've had to that. But even so, it felt it's like a counterpoint something... to that because you know we've seen Rimmer. Yeah. Well, at a younger age with his mum, and now we've got Seen. we've got that essential piece of the jigsaw of him and you know, and, it, and his stepdad. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's yeah, but stuff like that. But yeah, it's just it's it's weird and it's it, it's concerning. Um, uh, and I yeah, I mean yeah, I think that's probably part of it. At least I do think the writing was better in those scenes as well. And something that that joke with the disemboweling and the letter of apology. I think <laughs> that's my favourite line in the yeah. whole series. Yeah. Um, Although the end of that series um, is it Gary Cady? Yeah, yeah. The, he says um, his last line is, "You really, you do tend to jump to conclusions in the future. Pay more attention." And then at the end of the scene, he just basically goes, "Ha ha ha!" I just did a funny. I'm thing. evil. Is, is, is this a comedy, Doug? Yeah. Oh. I know what I'll do then. <laughs> I, I, I do take the points on that. But no, it doesn't. It doesn't um, stop doesn't that. That is still one of the best. I think. Um, yeah, favourites. I'm less keen on the later scene around the table of I'm surrounded by yes men. Yes, I agree. Yeah, because that it, it and the reason for that is the pace is effective because it takes so long to mm. do mm. the joke. Yeah, in order to do the joke, you have to have seven characters speak, and it just takes a long time. Doug just have less people in the room. Yeah, Doug has this thing of um, repetition, especially this series. Phrases or phrases words, or words yeah. in a particular scene, like um, moves, move on, and, moves, move. Yeah, moves, move, 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 and. Um, you got to think ahead. Yeah, and I, all I can, all I've got in my head now is something from Back to Earth, which is an awesome season, best season, yeah, season, season, <laughs> which is what um, not Mark Benton says in the, you know, in the comic shop. But it's just it, it's it's one of it's, it's a little tick that he's developing, and I'm not really backing this up because I haven't. The, there's other examples in this series that there I can't is. bring to mind, uh, but it's it's one of those ticks that I'm not particularly keen on. It feels like he's padding out or, or he's putting those words in there to get the rhythm without actually I think it depends on I think as a trend I think it, it is odd that it's used so often um, yeah. but individual ones are good and individual ones are bad Yeah, that's and true. it's often the performance that's the difference I think rather than the writing because I really like you've got to think ahead because it's just because of the way exactly Danny says it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> identical <laughs> phrasing every time. Uh, one interesting thing about uh, I agree that the second simulant scene is kind of not that. Yeah, <laughs> there's no real purpose to it. Um, but I do like the fact that amongst simulants, um, women seem to be very well represented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the few. It's always been the case. As well. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Like, Gunman and Rimmer world. It was a 50 yes. split. Very, very odd. How about <laughs> how, how, oh, so many females? <laughs> yeah, I should be happy. I don't know what I'm moaning about. <laughs> so you, you you do need a second simulant scene, or else the first one feels odd because that's yeah. the only one. But really, and I kind of hate to say this, but. You need one that's less trying to be comedic and more action based and more a kind of um, cut back, get get a bit of kind of you know uh, mm. uh, momentum up going, yeah. cut away, um, and frankly, you need a scene oddly, and you'll ne- very rarely hear me say this because it's trying to be less funny, yeah, and yeah. trying to be more because that first scene in itself is a punchline to yeah. the previous scene on on Blue Midget when Crichton 
Crichton is bigging up the the terror and the the formidability of the of these death of the, the crews and, yeah. and the the dominators on these crews. And then we get the scene where he's just being a bit yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. you know, so the whole scene serves as a punchline. And then the next scene, he's not really doing anything. And actually, you get the comedy with that second scene because the funniest bit in that second scene is just the guy going, oh. Yeah, calling back like that. Good so one. you've got that callback at the start, which which will undercut and kind of do that bit. And then you can actually, you can have a, a straightforward... It is uh, Chancellor Wednesday or Thursday. Wednesday. Wednesday is great in this. It's just... He's... he's it's a quite a daft performance, but I really, you know, I think it works. He's got right, yeah. right levels of camp in there, and uh, yeah, right, yeah, okay. yes, my dominator. <laughs> I wonder whether it's still. I wonder if they're the the two. Were they were they lifted from the movie as well? Because they seem like they would have fit. I think I bet you Possibly. they were. Possibly, uh, we've got conflicting. Um, I think not necessarily conflicting, but confusing. Um, it, there's no definitive list of what was written from scratch and what was in the movie, yeah. because from. Ellard's tweets, he was saying uh, on the night that the adapted from the movie thing has been somewhat overstated and it's only really Hoagie the Rogie. Right. Um, the whole Rimmer thing is fresh. But then we've also heard that the opening scene was from the movie, um, yeah. the R- Rimmer in the past. Yeah. And you'd assume that the simulant characters are based on the Homo sapienoids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I don't know. We, I what think... we need is a commentary on the DVD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what we need is an interview with Doug. Yeah. There's, uh, there's actually a bit in the documentary when um, Craig is basically saying, "I was looking through the script. I've read this script before, haven't I?" We've <laughs> rehearsed this yeah, one, and we've rehearsed this one. So it's basically just the movie script, and a little caption comes up said, "Plus other bits." <laughs> <laughs> it may yeah, have said signed Andrew <laughs> um, I, I know. I'm. Was really really slow because I didn't get this on the first show, but um, when I rewatched it, I was delighted to see that the um, Iowa Polytechnic is a shot of a bog standard Polytechnic with a grand dome, yeah. dome at the top, <laughs> and that really amused me. I'm not sure how Red Dwarf it is that shot because Red Dwarf doesn't usually, it's a bit kind of almost parody ish in terms of Red yeah. Dwarf usually takes its model shots quite seriously, and that is a joke. That is a here's a bog standard polytechnic looking building with a dome, with a dome. <laughs> above it. I hadn't noticed that. I wonder if it's like um, in the early days of colonisation, um, they just like uprooted some buildings, <laughs> <laughs> um, brick by brick, just to get away from the neighbours. <laughs> I like the idea that there's a ship out there somewhere that's just basically just loads of buildings from different countries just stuck on it. Yeah, in the cargo hold. That would be a great episode, wouldn't it? You find that ship. It'd be expensive. (laughs) (laughs) I I did actually enjoy, because I I quite enjoyed the episode um, when I watched it um, with my usual horrible reservations. <laughs> I rewatched it and I still got them, but I did enjoy the episode actually more on, on the rewatch oh, as well. Um, so it's really, I do kind of feel those two episodes that kind of point to what Red Dwarf 11 could really be. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. If it happens. If, uh, if if Doug can get sections of his scripts from uh, stuff he wrote 15 years ago. Because <laughs> um, I, mean, I, I can imagine the movie script at this point is probably incredibly tight, well honed, you know, or whatever version is is he's considering the mm-hmm. main one, and you can you really get that impression with this episode. And there's um, because the, the whole Rimmer plot is really is really really nice. It's paid off so well. That scene with um, 
that scene when they're all deciding what to do, Rimmer's given his plan and they say, it's crap, it's a crap idea. <laughs> and just, you know, just that little call back to everyone putting their hands up, which is a little bit forced, but... You see, I, you see I'm not... The, the, oddly, and I, I am very much in a minority on this, but the Rimmer stuff doesn't quite work with me and it's not any problems with changing the fundamentals of the character I've yeah. got any problem with that it just the whole thing feels um, it almost feels like um, 101 on how to make characterisation mean something it feels a bit <laughs> it feels a bit the too oh because you've got to do this and then you've got to it feels a bit too calculated and a bit too um, bog standard Hollywood also, um, movie script characterization to me. I haven't put that quite well, but yeah. I don't quite buy it. Also, okay. um, uh, actually, it has just occurred to me. Um, Rimmer's never been the type of character to sort of go along with everyone else anyway, particularly. Part of his problem is that he likes to do things his way and doesn't understand why That's others wouldn't. No, until he gets into a peril situation, mm. in which case he completely becomes subservient and just lets anyone else other than him take responsibility as long as he can remove himself mm. from the situation mm. I wonder yeah like maybe when he's cornered a bit and it's interesting because that situation of him being in the classroom with his with his father teaching everyone is we've never really seen him sort of cornered no. that way before that is well I mean or I don't it's pure know, pressure yeah yeah I don't know if it's related to cowardice which is which is a very rimmer characteristic yeah. <laughs> obviously um yeah, I don't know whether that's meant to meant to be what that's representing. Possibly. In a slightly new way. Who was it? Um, someone on GNT said that they didn't understand how the opening scene related back to to the when they were watching a the recording. They didn't understand how it related back to that final final sequence, whereas I must admit even I thought well, that was quite what, obvious. What's interesting I think I seem to remember someone saying they didn't understand the connection of the opening scene after broadcast. Which is unforgivable. Yeah. I'm sure there were some people. Twitter not, as I said, not even I'm that terrible. <laughs> I don't think anyone would have um, been surprised by the gun's reappearance. <laughs> uh, you know what? I pretty much guess what they were doing before it even yeah. happened. Because and the thing that gives it away is the 360 degree shot. As soon as you got it in the middle and you got the 360 degree shot, I think my mind's up thinking, well, why are they showing that? Oh, I think it's more the radar than the model shot. That does it for me, possibly. But, as um, well, yeah. but yeah, it just as soon as um, Crichton comes in and does the gag about the pencil sharpener and the forks. Oh, and we've also got this gun. Remember, that's the bit where you, you get, could yeah. have cut that. Actually. Well, the gun, well, the gun's going to be important, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you. But it's it's such a tricky balance because we've complained before about yeah. um, things being over. Explained, mm-hmm. and we've complained about things being under-explained. I know, I know. And so yeah, it's such know. a tricky and things balance. coming and think, out of nowhere, like the hollow lamp yeah. or the um, mirror universe the machine. Ho- the, uh, the 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 thing that strikes me is the hollow lamp. I haven't really got a problem with things being okay. introduced in that, yeah. but it does push it for me when they're running from the ship and Rimmer grabs it and takes it with them. That one thing just makes me think. So all the other times when you've run away. Oh, but I don't have a problem with things like that because I, it's it's a suspension of disbelief thing. It's like 
you can sort of semi on it in your brain and say he's always had it on him in some way or other. Well, maybe it was always. Yeah, in, you could say that kept it better star, if you didn't have a fucking great yeah. lamp. If it was a small, <laughs> if it was a small <laughs> thing, yeah. Yeah. The, the USB stick. He's yes. always had you know what? Well, actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had a problem with that at all. Actually, no. Mm. no it's just, it's that. just something that. I, and I and that, I think, that, that thing there could even be sitting on the blue midget uh, counter and just slip it in. Slip yeah, it, yeah, job done. Which would explain that the plinth. Well, the plinth, I presume yeah. the plinth is there. I was talking about this. Time. I presume the plinth is there because they also receive live transmissions mm. on that plinth, and it's. I would understand that that's what it's designed for. So that's why it's there, and it's designed for that particular thing to yeah. have live live transmissions. But it's not really set up like no. It. It's um, it's a strange bit of functional set design, but then to be fair, they had to do that set in about two days, I think, mm. <laughs> or maybe a day even. Rumor's mum, right? She um, thought every time that um, Rumor passed an exam, mm-hmm. uh, he told her that uh, he passed. <laughs> so, as far as Rumor's mum is concerned, he was already an officer. Yeah. Therefore, as far as Rumor's mum is concerned, he. Rimmer already knew that yeah. Rimmer's yeah. dad wasn't his dad. So, who dies in Better Than Life? It's yeah. Nice. It gets... Yeah, no, it, it, I it's, it gets all a bit... No, I'm saying I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. I'm saying it's one of those interesting extra things yeah. to think yeah, about. Yeah, it afterwards. now makes the other ones a bit, a bit more... It makes it, you can see them in a different light. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't um, devalue no. No. those plots. Apart from anything else, it was still brought up by... Mr. Rimmer. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's his stepdad. You know, yeah. it's if anyway, it makes Rimmer's character be more tragic father. because essentially his character could have been a different person from series two. He could have been happier in it for his entire life if he'd yeah. have known that his father wasn't his real father wasn't deeply ashamed of him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I- I'm not sure I'd buy that Rimmer wouldn't just watch it at the earliest opportunity. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, actually. If it, at the start of Better Than Life, he he actually finds out, you know, about um, um, oh god, what's Dungo? Dungo, um, biggest dad, and he was, you know, like, oh my god, my dad's proud of me. He would have then, would he have then gone into Better Than Life? Yes, he probably would have done, but he would have had a much better time, and maybe they would have all got so addicted to it that they would have all died. Um, do you know, the although the um, we were saying, oh. Rimmer would definitely watch it. I remember him doing a death tape. Um, me squared. Me squared. Mm. And I thought maybe, maybe he wouldn't. Maybe him making that tape, which Lister then watched when he shouldn't have watched it, yeah. is actually a way of saying um, it. It it is actually consistent because if his father had made this and said to him, "Don't watch it, you become an officer." Then perhaps that's Rimmer kind of copying that mm. idea. Mm. Uh, I may well be overthinking this. It does do things by the book. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Although he's got no qualms about trying to cheat on exams mm. and trying to cheat every other aspect of his life, cheat at drafts against scutters. I think. I think maybe once you were three million years in the future, he'd have a look. Yeah. Mm. But I mean, again, this was giving it this so much air time. Oh, indeed, once he thought it. he was dead. 
I presume that the actual device has a bit like, you know, when it sends that you've read someone's email. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I presume it does that. Read receipt. Yeah, a receipt. But once you're in the future, that doesn't matter. <laughs> so, um, the one thing we definitely need to talk about if we're talking about the beginning is model shots. Because Capsi has some points, apparently. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean... Have you got something to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, great, especially for this episode, great model shots, the best that Red Dwarf has ever had. Bollocks. No. Complete bollocks. Yeah. Yeah. The best that Red Dwarf 10 has ever had. Yeah, I mean... The best <laughs> effects we've had since Series 6. Yes. Yeah. Well, no. There's some Series 7 There's model shots series that, are, oh, that yeah. are better. Even the... You know, weird grainy sixteen mil stuff. I mean, there's that beautiful shot in the Robberus with the sun and red dwarf and the the, the oh yeah the ship the going shuffle. in. The yeah, shuffle, that's yeah, which um, is, is a Pete Tyler special, isn't it? You yeah, know, yeah. weird uh, perspective, um, a perspective shot with um, mm-hmm. all done in mirrors. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, Pepper's Ghost. I still don't. I still don't fully understand how he did it. It's like magic to me, really. <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually, that is a really good. That is a really good uh, counterpoint because that. Pete Tyler did that composite shot, three different elements live in camera. And then we get to series 10 and the, the, the compositing of model shots over each other is the biggest problem, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. It's Red Dwarf never quite looks like it belongs in yeah. space. Yeah. Blue Midget definitely doesn't look like it belongs. Uh, the, the movement of Blue Midget and yeah, how, it, how it's placed it's, on top I of I got screen. really angry watching um, the model shot segment of where smegged because while I'm happy with what's in the episodes um, they're good model shots in the end yeah. uh, they could obviously have been better uh, um, but I got really infuriated much because we knew that there was an initial shoot that was disastrous and that fucked it up and then like, we knew that there was a second shoot which was better and Bill Pearson was on board mm-hmm. and a new DOP specifically for models was brought in and dead there but then you watch We're Smegged and you find out that the new guy, the new DOP, Dean Thrussell, um, his phrase that he used was, it was all trial and error. Um, we looked up what you had to do by reading books about what they did on Star Wars and Blade Runner. Yeah. And like the, o- the only way to make, um, <laughs> the only way to make uh, the blue midget move in space was to have someone in a green suit moving it about. Which is not true. There are other ways to do it. You know, this might have ended up being the cheapest way or whatever, but there are other ways to do it. Yeah. And even though they had a short amount of time, the fact that they were doing everything trial and error mm. means that they weren't using that time effectively. They yes. did bloody well to get what they did out of those few weeks or days, mm-hmm. but they could have done it better. And yeah. the whole thing, you just you think, given that they had to do it, it all twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything about it was still rushed. If they'd have just got the model unit in at the start, then it yeah. would probably have still ended up cheaper. And or even more... Bill Pearson from the start, you know, if well, that was there. Or not. It's not Bill Pearson. He's, Bill Pearson did incredible things, and everything that he's ever done on Red Dwarf, the models themselves, the things that he's made, have looked great. And certain other elements from this look great as well, like Steve Begg's explosions. But it's just the fact that Bill's brilliant models weren't then shot in the most effective yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Bill, no problem whatsoever with Bill Pearson. It's just, 
Yeah, you've got Peter Have a full camera crew yeah. that can deal with model work. Have just experts on models and don't think that you can budget. I mean, yeah. the, fir- the first shoot, they thought they could budget with um, the art department and the normal DOP, and everyone agreed, no, this isn't working. Yeah. But they're still budging it with the second shoot well, see, I yeah. think with people that aren't experts. I think the reason um, quite a lot of fans have been uh, very forgiving about the models um, in this series, and I do think you have to be a bit forgiving, um, yeah, as you yeah. say, with the with, with the um, with the compositing, especially. But the reason um, the reason is that, and I remember distinctly saying, I don't think we'll ever have models in Red Dwarf no. again. We and in I the was Red Dwarf com- Ten preview yeah. draft cast, and I was I was convinced it wouldn't happen. I was convinced that everyone would love to have models. That I was even thought they'd intend to have it. And then at the last minute, they'd look at the budget and think, shit, and not do it. So the fact we've even got models in this series is really, really pleasing. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, just you could have done it so much better. And it's like, why does every fucking special effects thing on Red Dwarf have to be a disaster now? It was a <laughs> yeah. disaster on Series 7. Yeah. Um, it was, you can't quite say a disaster on 8 per se, no, but, the, but it was just rubbish. Well, the remastered you, stuff is have, a disaster. You're not going to have many difficulties with a guy doing it on his computer because he can just <laughs> he just has to build once the models look right then when it comes yeah. to and, you and can, then you've then got yeah. the camera that can move in any point exactly, in space yeah. you don't have to take a, a tripod to move a camera <laughs> and actually um, I think the uh, and actually this is not modern, but the worst um, special effects shot I think in the entire series is in um, uh, the beginning and it's the two shots where the crew go through the floor Mm. Yeah, that is yeah. fucking shitty compositing. <laughs> it looked awful when I saw it, mm. and I, when I rewatch, it's even worse. It's almost like they've done it in the fucking edit rather mm. than it. it oh, it's yeah. absolutely dreadful. It's an offline effect, moment. Yeah, it's 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 really really bad. Um, so yeah, you you. Well, you, you, the, some of the wibbly, wibblifying. Like um, Hoagie coming in at the mm-hmm. start it was actually yeah that was good, good. Yeah, yeah that was pretty it was, good it was decent I mean um, the stuff that Onsite did various bits of CG you know were actually quite mm. they, they were quite good I think it was Onsite wasn't it yeah yeah um, especially like the you know the, the the CG mats and things for for the model shots were themselves good but presumably they were also responsible for the compositing. And that's where it. Having, having said all that, I mean, um, there's, I mean, there's a couple of ropey bits. I think one of the shots of Blue Midget coming out of the asteroid is a really horrible wipe and it's thing. Really it's straight, straight, movie, yeah, yeah, and it's it's awful. But then some of the actual shots of the shot with Blue Midget weaving between is fucking stunning. Yeah, that's it's, the best. It's really, really good. Well, that was all because it was done in one shot. Yeah. Well, you'd, you'd, you'd think he was doing one shot. It seems that's to true, actually. Shot. Yeah, yeah. They were they were part of the same shot. <coughs> yeah, that was yeah, yeah, that was practical. So yeah, I, I think, think it's the composite things where when you when you're working with like effects, especially when you don't know the end result as well. Like they knew what they wanted to do when Pete Tyler was doing uh, the shot with Jupiter. Well, what was ended up being Jupiter and the ship and everything done in one shot is because they knew that's what they needed mm, yeah. for the later model shots. They didn't really know what they were going to have with it, so that's why they shot everything on green screen with the with the with the you know with the opportunity to be able to edit in afterwards. Yeah. And sometimes it's to its detriment. Sometimes it's to its compliment. A lot of the shots were like sort of generic ones. Uh, I, I didn't, and also I the other thing that didn't really work for me is I didn't buy the um, missiles going through the cockpit in the um, end of the beginning. Um, which annoyed me yeah. because again it's the climax and it also the scale fell off to me as well actually. 
the scale didn't work for me. I imagine as missiles being rather bigger than something that could go through yeah, what we saw in the live action. Is something that it didn't occur to me until uh, again I'm nicking something that someone said online, but <laughs> now you're thinking with portals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be a good, that'd be a good idea. Yeah, just make the things yellow and blue. <laughs> yeah, orange. Okay. Uh, but I mean, you know, and again, there's there's the other problems. Like I, I think you could have doubled the length of all the um, establishing shots and still had it pacing. They, they did that. I mean, at the beginning probably has the nicest, yeah. lingering red dwarf shot. Um, the three million years later, it's because yeah, it has yeah, to have yeah. a caption and you need to take that in. Yeah, but that was that was spot on. That in was fact, nice. Yeah, red, the red dwarf establishing shots probably the most consistently good. Model stuff. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, you look at a lot of those establishing shots, and a lot of them are done with just basically that massive plate built to the side. And when you look at it, and you're actually realising, hang on, I'm actually not looking at a ship. I'm looking at a rectangle at an angle here. (laughs) And I wouldn't know (laughs) unless we'd actually seen what it was. So, I mean, all that that I'm going to have a problem with. That was good. um, I mean, well, yeah, and also... When it comes to the the, the the new DOP, like shooting flybys red dwarf, presumably is the is the easiest of the jobs because you, you're not dealing with dynamic moving or very quick moving mm-hmm. vessels. It's just well, you've red got to make sure move. that the um, that the camera work is spot on at that point, mm. which is difficult if you don't have motion control. And it's yeah. also difficult if you're in a rush. Let's yes. be fair, but. Of which they had both of those problems. Yes. Uh, yeah, the flyover that we see on the DVD for the credits. It it looks to me that beginning <coughs> of that. Like I was looking, thinking you could have just about got a word. Oh fuck! Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. it actually starts off okay, and then no, it's it, on the it goes. Wonk. It's wonky. But, but you know what? New shape doesn't work either. But, no, it doesn't because you haven't got the. Uh, yeah. going down. The but cone's too to, big and the back's too small. To yeah. be fair to them, they realised and didn't use it. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's that. I think I said that on the um, on the DVD review was the fact that I'd seen it and it was like I'm glad that they tried. I'm really glad. <laughs> that glad we've got it as well. I'm really glad they didn't use it. Yeah. yeah, and it's but it's 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 as you exactly as you're saying. It's just frustrating that if they decided to do it properly at the beginning, then we would have had a better result and it wouldn't have cost them any more time or money. Yeah, yeah. that we know of. I as I said, I things where it will happen, but it'll take a long time. I think. I, yeah. You see, I don't know. Watching coming off with Smegs, I've got no fucking clue what what well, happened. Well, like we've said, lessons have been learnt. You'd hope, yeah. and there's a lot of things in place now that weren't in place, like the sets because mm-hmm. you saw them all being packed up and taken into storage yeah, yeah, so yeah, the yeah, sets yeah. are built and they can come back um, they know how to shoot on red in front of an audience mm-hmm. they know well they've got lots of models in the bag and red dwarf and blue midget and the bigature mm-hmm. they're all there uh, they've just got more, far more they've started series 10 was starting from scratch and now they're not yeah. starting from scratch and so hopefully um, the problems that were faced, I mean, they will face problems again and there will be different things, but A, they'll be more prepared for problems mm-hmm. yeah. and um, a lot of the basics problems have been ironed out and they're there now. There's a base to build on. See, the, the, weird thing, the weird thing about Red Dwarf is 
you've got Series 5 with Juliet May and mm-hmm. all that crap. Then you've got Series 6 where uh, Chris Barry was so fed up he almost refused to do any more and you've got the late writing on that. Then you've got Series 7, which we don't even need to go into the cock-ups on Series 7. <laughs> um, series 8, um, where they're combining episodes Willie and Lillian, it was a complete disaster. Back to Earth, which... To be fair, seems to be almost the most stable in a lot of ways, but it's still. Um, oh yeah, with Back to Earth, they had a very tiny amount of time, but they didn't massively fuck anything up within that time. But yeah, <laughs> it and stuck then, to a terrible schedule, but it stuck to it. And then, and then you've got, um, and even then, you had um, it being made into a three-parter very late on. Oh yeah. Uh, and getting rid of the um, unplugged, and then um, you got Series Ten, where it's like, and it's like, look, it's I cursed. know, I know, it's a difficult show to make. Yeah. I'm not. And I'm not, and you know, but, but can we have one series that isn't a fucking disaster? Yeah. I think <laughs> this sounds like a massive, and it's it's not a, it's not a criticism, but it's more of a case of we've seen with Red Dwarf X what happens when you put too many eggs in one basket and when you try to have your fingers in too many pies. I just <laughs> are you hungry, Danny? <laughs> Doug, Doug should basically concentrate on the writing yeah. and get um, yes. a separate director I, like Andy Diemeny and bring him Diemeny. back or someone like that yeah. and just yeah. I, I would be very happy with that by director which <laughs> says a lot well, he, sorry he isn't saying much because there's only a few no, he needs, Andy Diemeny Doug needs more help yeah. Yeah. I, I don't see um, anything special about the directing of Red Dwarf 10 no. that Doug needed to do I can't see anything there that looks like oh god only Doug could have done that true yeah. I think he wants. Well, that's not a criticism of Doug having directed. You no. know, he wanted to try it out. Fair enough. And it's perfectly. But f- it's it not... just seems like as if you'd that's see all the in problems that was going on with that time. And if you were writing a show that was less complicated than Red Dwarf, yeah, fine. But no, he he needs mm. to rein back and concentrate on the bits that he can do. I'm, I'm not convinced that he's the best person to be directing actors. Going by um, the performances of Kerry Shale and maybe <laughs> some of the like. And allowing certain takes to to be to be used, like there's various takes of Robert, you know, not quite getting his line right. Some of Chris not quite getting his line right. It should never, ever have made it to a broadcast show, and it's you know it's not a huge huge thing. It's just you know little little things here and there. And yeah, it's definitely spread too thin. Yeah, he's yeah. I, I think, think, that, I think that's if it, it was, if it was just the director, then all those little things would yeah, have been ironed like, out. You know, if it was just the writer, then some of the problems in the writing could have been ironed out. I think that's the thing. And like when he's uh, sat in there directing on the night, he could be writing during mm-hmm. that time. He could be off fixing the next show. Oh yeah, and it's not just the night; it's all week. It's, yeah, it's yeah, block, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, blocking, yeah, yeah. it's lighting, it's yeah. Everything. He could, in fact, yeah. So he could be doing yeah. that journey, and he could be there on the night and on the rehearsal yeah. to tweak, and just be. Even if he's not away writing, just being there and yeah. watching everything happen yeah. from a semi-outsider point of view, like not having to worry about practicalities yeah. and yeah. being able to stand to one side and look at it and say, "Is this working?" No, this would be better here. Just having his mind clear to think about the comedy. He doesn't need to be involved to the detail where he's directing smoke machines. No. He doesn't need to stand there going, shroom, 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 yeah. which doesn't work on an audio. Yeah. <laughs> but you won't know what we're referring yeah. to because you've seen the documentary, presumably. If you haven't, you can fuck off. <laughs> um, so now we've sorted out Doug's career for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We know. Well, what, what are you doing with your career? <laughs> Well, we obviously know better than Doug does about his strengths and weaknesses based on the final episodes that we've seen. Uh, I think we should bring back Juliet May. 
<laughs> she, she knows what POV means now, so... <laughs> if she's watched the heavy science then she should I think, I think Paul Jack should, should direct it and I'm only half joking <laughs> um, I think we've pretty much come to the end haven't we yeah Yeah. so are we going to do a bit of a kind of summing up well, how we feel series 10 was good uh, I think it's not only worthwhile as an exercise and it's not only <laughs> nice to see Red Dwarf back but it, it was actively good on its own merits, I thought. Yeah. And I thought, um, we all the time before the series went out, we were talking about it feels like series two. There's bits of it that feel like series five, mm-hmm. and it, it definitely is its own thing in yeah. the same way that all the series have been. But it does feel like a sort of like a, a like a like a restart. It does feel like that because yeah. you've got to imagine you're now getting an entirely new audience. Um, from Dave, who, never, who may not have seen Red Dwarf before, so you've still got to kind of get those. They will have done if they watch it as much as you would Stalwart fans. Well, that's the thing. It's not. Um, it's not a case of going. Ah, do you remember Red Dwarf? That was good, wasn't it? It's setting out its own stall, and it's taking Red Dwarf and and making a self-contained series out of it. This is a debut. And it stands up Dwarf. on its own two feet. Do we yeah. think they possibly made? a bit of a mistake in not I'm not saying um, an entire uh, episode that set up the whole premise again but did they need a bit of what they did at the beginning of Sirens? I say with the context of where it stood i.e. on Dave Mm -hmm. um, I don't think anyone needed reintroducing to the concept of Red Dwarf watching that because it was watched by old fans uh, and people that are the target demographic for that channel mm-hmm. and that channel is now built entirely on Red Dwarf QI no, it, and Top Gear so. it's actually built on badly hacked up edits of Red Dwarf mm. <laughs> yeah. so, I think had Back to Earth not happened then yeah probably mm. but yeah and the fact that Back, Back to, to Earth, Earth did that. was surrounded not only within itself but was surrounded by uh, you know the whole week was just Red Dwarf and le- yeah leading up to series 10 um yeah, you, anyone watching Dave could not have escaped the repeat, <laughs> yeah. even if you'd wanted yeah. to. Or Any... the fact that Red Dwarf Ten was coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that um, this series is better than um, any Red Dwarf since Series Six. It's not as good as Series Six, um, no. and I don't think it's as good as any from One to Six. I um I am disappointed overall because I thought there were masses of really good ideas mm. that didn't really go anywhere um, or weren't really explored properly um, and I think that's a shame especially as you have a lot of new people watching Red Dwarf now and they won't have had the experience that we've had where you take an idea and you introduce it and then you run with it and at the end of the episode, you've got a resolution um, to that. Mm. And that was a really interesting idea. And there were lots of laughs along the way. And that's great. Um, which is what that sort of, um, that kind of area of sitcom should be doing. That's sci-fi. That's, uh, you know, that's the whole point of sci-fi. You you take an interesting idea and you make a coherent whole out of it. Or in, you, you already are one coherent, coherent whole. whole. Um but yeah, what what you don't do, I would say, would 
try and cram as many into an episode as you can <laughs> possibly yeah. think of because I don't think that's going to work and, and so it proved I'm quite encouraged by the fact that there are so many ideas mm. kicking around in 10 and that the, the execution is definitely the biggest problem but those ideas are there Doug, Doug doesn't come across as a tired writer someone who's mm. who's um, kind of running out of any sort of steam He he's just someone who possibly needs to have more focus and I think I'm always thinking about, you know, what could the next series be like? And I think the signs are good that they could really get, you know, keep going to this next series if it happens and really, really make something that is a lot better than 10. Yeah, and I really hope they do because um, as I've, and I don't know, I, I, people never seem to take it well when I say it, but um, on G&T at least, uh, <laughs> I don't go in other forums. Um, <laughs> but I say, you know, I've said, look, you're on um, well, what is now getting to be quite a big dis- digital channel yeah. in the UK. You, I am prepared to give new writers and people that just started out the benefit of the doubt. Um, if you're just trying things out, Doug has gone and done that and he's worked out how to write years ago. I don't... I'm I'm less charitable this time because I respect him as a writer yeah. and he's a really experienced guy and I I find it upsetting that he's spread himself too thin and it seems to be so chaotic and I don't I don't think it needs to be and I I don't I still don't really understand how how he gets himself into this sort of situation where he's thinking well it because of that because of that because of that well, maybe it's because of you Doug and you need to get over whatever it is leading you down that road because it's not working there's yeah lots of lots of silliness that mm. maybe seems a bit unnecessary um I mean it's quite clear from the documentary that he and Charles I don't think agreed on anything oh, there, there, there was never an occasion where I said we should do this and Charles agreed <laughs> <laughs> but then on the other hand that's not a very interesting story to no, so you're only going to hear the, um, yeah. the conflict and I, I think yeah there's, I think a lot of egos maybe need to be pricked I think that documentary's done quite a good job of doing that it may be Doug <laughs> doing the pricking of some of these egos but hopefully he's kind of to uh, analysing it he's identified maybe where he was part of the problem for certain um, certain areas and that he has a clear idea of um, of the areas that need to be improved if they go into a new series yeah I don't if you're because he runs a company that makes Red Dwarf, that is the point of Grant Productions, that it doesn't hasn't done anything else of significance. So if that's your entire life, which, you know, it pretty much seems that it is, then if it does lead you into these chaotic productions, you need to have a really good look at what's going wrong. Because um, it's not like a writer who is using a totally different production company and thinking, oh, God, that all went wrong because of so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah. Like, well, no, Doug, it's you. It's your baby, it's your company, and you need to sort it out. Although I wouldn't agree that it, Red Dwarf's the only thing of note they've done. I mean, how soon we forget I camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I'd say is um, I came out of Back to Earth wanting to kill myself, and I haven't come out of Red Dwarf 10 wanting to kill myself. <laughs> um <laughs> We all want to kill you. <laughs> yeah. That's been um, an underlying theme for the, the last ten years. The fact the fact that you've got one episode which is um maybe not as good as Red Wolf one to six, but is a really solid episode that I haven't got too much to complain about. 
I honestly didn't think I'd get that, mm-hmm. this series. So that kind of makes me happy. Um, I just um, get frustrated with the wasted potential. So your so lemons is like your little olive tree yeah. that sprouted up out of garbage world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's sort of well, if they're all of them were like that, then it would have been a great series. And I, but you see, there's so many. Like at the beginning, it has so many great ideas in, and then um, for me, tonally, it has quite a lot of missteps, and I just kind of miss when Red Dwarf seemed effortless. Mm. And that's that is it, and it, mm. that's an incredibly difficult thing to. And it never was. To, it never was, it yeah. never was effortless. No, I very specifically missed the time when it seemed effortless. Yeah, but then there's very little in TV that seems effortless because the the environment in which Red Dwarf one to six and to a lesser extent seven and eight were made doesn't exist anymore no. you don't have studios full of people who are experts and can make a studio show just like that in you don't have the support network of the bbc you don't have the time you don't have the budget that's a fair enough point nothing is ever going to be um the only thing i'd say is that i mean and yeah when you know so much about the um uh behind the scenes of red dwarf it can maybe color perceptions that, mm. that um shouldn't be colored and then you kind of just get into this thing where where when you're so emotionally invested that um uh that that it just you you just get exasperated and you you wish you wish I really fucking wanted to love Red Dwarf Ten more than I did. Yeah. I really did. And I was kinda of hoping when I was watching it that Lemons was the tipping point. And maybe that's why I'm so frustrated by Entangled. Mm. That that's where that it, where I thought it was going to tip into something that I was absolutely going to love, and it just went straight back to the old problems that I had with it. I think at no point did the series feel consistent. Maybe um, it, it was always kind of you know jumping about a bit quality wise for me. I mean, I enjoyed <laughs> yeah. it more more than you did, and found it funnier than you did it on the whole. But still, for me, you know, there was. Oh, that you know, mm-hmm. a brilliant scene would turn up. It's you know, like well, fathers and sons, fantastic scene between Lister and Lister, mm-hmm. and then Taiwan Tony. It just it did feel uneven, and the lo- logic dictates that after Lemons, yes, the series should have built from mm-hmm. that rather than. Well, I, I mean, it yeah, took the, a nose down, did the, for me. The than logical that. conclusion of the argument, which I I think is totally valid. Um, Ian about television industry because mm. it is a, so much different. Mm-hmm. Um, the logical conclusion that is is are we never going to expect a, a really good series of a dwarf ever again or anything that's vaguely ambitious? Are we not expecting any ambitious sitcom to work ever again because it's quite depressing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that really is where we're going. No, the point is about um, the the difficulty in which it was made. It doesn't absolve any of the problems as we said earlier. But I think I'm optimistic that we can have that level of ambition again for a subsequent series um, now that the the problems mm. have been identified and solved. And I think it, it goes back to the thing of Red Dwarf Tim was starting from scratch and it has a lot of problems and hopefully now that they're not starting from scratch again we will get the ambitiousness and the, the quality and the strength that we've been striving yeah. for. Mm-hmm. And I think series 10 has, rather than feeling like 
a celebration of old Red Dwarf. That's why I think it could be the start of something good. But I think if I Series Eleven needs to happen sooner than later, otherwise, yes. yeah. you'll just otherwise you lose that momentum. Yeah. And that's it. That's another thing is that Red Dwarf can never be year on year. You know, there's too there's too many other things going mm, on. Cray, yeah, Corey just screws that. Yeah. Yeah. Even forgetting anything else. Yeah. And the fact that um, uh, you know, going back to Ian's original point, in that um, to do a series year after year, it needs to be quite quick to get it mounted, to get it ready mm. in the studio, mm. and it's much easier to do that when you have this on staff. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. studio, yeah, studio stuff. So the conclusion to the conclusion <laughs> is, <laughs> I think, that it was all right with series ten. <laughs> I, I, I think the conclusion is that um, there is not a single episode that seems to have had that much um, uh, everyone seems to feel about a difference in so many different ways yeah. and um, different episodes have different sports and detractors and amongst the people who weren't keen on the series there are a million and one different reasons why yes. I don't think you can sum up in any way people's reactions <laughs> no, to Red Dwarf 10 it's been like it's I, been out of yeah, we none of us can really agree. No. We've done a very good job at being um, uh, vaguely respectful <laughs> towards each other, which we never usually are. <laughs> um, but in terms of and in terms of going to be in terms of outside, um, I see no coherence of opinion no. with Red Dwarf Ten at all. No. And that's you know that's interesting at least. So in conclusion, you've just wasted the last <laughs> at least two hours of your life. <laughs> Um, Although, to be fair, if you've been on GNT for a while, you've wasted a lot more. You've wasted that. 10 years. <laughs> I, I think it's a good sign that no one can agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, it means we've got plenty to talk about mm. for, for the subsequent years <laughs> until we get another series to argue about. Yeah. I, I find an awful lot more um, to talk about with Red Dwarf 10 than Back to Earth in terms of sparking interesting ideas off in your head and yeah, wanting to talk about it. Yes. The end. Ah, oh, thank fuck for that. We finished. Right. <laughs> now I've just got to do an outro. <laughs> and on that note, um, that seems like a good time as any to bring this terrible podcast to an end. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, Dwarfcasts will return presently. Uh, but for now, I've been Ian Symes. I've been Jonathan Caps. I've been John Hall. I've been Tanya Jones. And I've been on Skype. <laughs> and his name is Danny. And so, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Fuck off now. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye. Goodbye.